You are listening to Hear Her Sports, a podcast for active, adventurous women who love hearing stories from other active and adventurous women. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. In every episode, I introduce a female athlete or woman in sport through a conversation about who they are and the terrific work they're doing. Joining me this week is Olympic marathon bronze medalist Molly Seidel. Molly loves running and always has. She's also clearly thought a lot about how the sport fits into her life, what it offers her, and she it. To increase equity in marathon running for women and non-binary athletes, and to honor this year's 50th anniversary of the Women's Division of the New York City Marathon, Molly is working on a new project, the Michelob Ultra Run Fund, along with Kathleen Switzer and the Women's Sports Foundation. In addition to talking about that and the strength of her relationships with sponsors, we have a really interesting discussion about the different ways competition and aggression can look the role sponsors and media have for increasing equity in the sport, issues in female running even today, and what her current training and goals are like with some recent injuries. Before I get to the episode, I want to thank The Feed for their ongoing support. For four months, The Feed is sponsoring the Keep Her Forward Female Athlete Podcast Network. The network includes Hear Her Sports, Keeping Track, and Women's Running Stories. The Feed is the largest online marketplace for your sports nutrition, offering the brands you know and love from Scratch Lab, Cliff Bar to Morton, plus their athlete customized supplements called the Feed Formulas. They carry over 250 brands, so you have thousands of products to choose from and try. I love shopping at the Feed because I'm thoughtful about fueling my body for training and competing, and not everything I use is made by the same manufacturer. The Feed is a large one-stop shop, so in one shipment, I can get exactly the bars, electrolyte powders, protein powders, and gummy blocks that I like. The Feed has been a great partner and has an offer for you too. As dedicated listeners of Hear Her Sports, you can get $80 in credit at The Feed. Just go to thefeed.com slash hearher to claim your $80 credit at The Feed. All of that info and the link is also in the show notes at hearhersports.com. Now let me introduce Molly and get to the episode. Olympian Molly Seidel is a professional runner. She is well known for her incredible performance in the Tokyo Olympics heat to win bronze in the marathon. She was second in the Olympic trials, which was, as is often remarked, her first ever marathon. In 2021, Molly ran the fastest time ever by an American woman at the New York City Marathon in 2.24.42, shattering the previous course record by more than a minute. None of that success is a fluke. Molly graduated from the University of Notre Dame, where she was a four-time NCAA champion, six-time NCAA All-American, six-time Atlantic Coast Conference champion, and 2016 Female ACC Athlete of the Year. Molly often speaks up about mental health, eating disorders, the impact physical movement has on both, and how much she loves the sport. It is a real honor for me that she is here on the podcast, so let's welcome Molly. Well, hello, Molly. Welcome, and thank you for taking the time to be here today. You know, I really appreciate it. I know that you have a ton of media obligations, and I can't imagine that's easy. So thank you. I appreciate your attention. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be on here. Great. Well, you know, just to start, you travel a ton. I noticed on Instagram, you've been everywhere in the last, I don't know, couple of months. <laughs> yeah. 
where are you now? And I mean that both geographically, like physically where you're sitting and also like where are you in with your training and stuff like that? Yeah, so I am back in my home in Flagstaff, Arizona right now. It has been a little bit fast and furious um, the past few months. But yeah, back back at home, kind of getting back into it. I dealt with a pretty big injury over the summer to my sacrum. So doing a lot of kind of like, yeah, rehabbing and preventative stuff so that I can get back into full training. Definitely at a little bit lower mileage for me right now, but kind of knocking out like 100, 110 mile weeks and just kind of trying to lay the base right now for um, a marathon build next spring. To, to manage that kind of stress on your body, it takes um, several months leading into it to kind of prime everything so that you can manage the, the 15 to 12 weeks of really, really intense training. So do you have specific timetable in mind? I know that you and your coach work really in an interesting way. So I'm just wondering how are you looking at this long term? Because I know you take things you know, sort of day by day in a way, but Mm -hmm. you obviously have long-term goals as well. Yeah, exactly. So right now, because it's a little bit more unstructured, I'm going to be doing a half marathon in a few weeks with my teammate, Jessa out in Boston. But other than that, we're really kind of just using this time in the fall to, yeah, kind of take it day by day, um, have like a big picture idea of what we're trying to build for, but really just get that, that excitement back for running, that strength back, and then hopefully looking towards doing a marathon sometime either next March or April and, and really building up towards that so that once we hit 2023, January, that we're going to be like all guns firing, ready for the marathon build. You sound very excited. I mean, is this a kind of training that you enjoy despite the fact that you do have an injury? Yes, exactly. It's a uh, like I love marathon training. It's the I got into it for a reason of just like I I truly just love like the day in day out like grind of it. But uh there does need to be a a kind of a rest period and I hadn't really allowed myself that for the past few years. It was just so go, go, go. Like basically from when I qualified for the Olympics in February of 2020, there really hasn't been a break period. And so this year has been a little bit difficult because I think it's a, I kind of had the saying, like the tax man always comes and yeah, kind of had to pay back my debts for the last few very successful years and give myself that mental and physical reset for a bit so that I can kind of gear up for the next two years ahead of me. I can't imagine the stress of the Olympics. Forget about the actual race of it, but like everything that comes before and everything that comes after. So yeah, I can imagine that you need some rest. Yeah, it was. And it was something that I think at the time I didn't really allow myself to, I don't know, pay attention to just how much stress it was with it. Like between training through the pandemic for the Olympics, the the year postponement, or just the stress that you put on your body. It is really, really difficult. And I think after the Olympics and then trying to build back up for New York last year, it started to put me a little bit into that hole where I didn't give myself the time to process how difficult the experience the Olympics was and just kept being like, oh, no, it's just one more race, just one more thing that I can do. And so by the time I hit this year of Boston Marathon, which I had to drop out of because of injury and same for the world champs, it was very clear that my body was like, nope, you need to take the time to actually yeah, recover from these things. Right. It's it's sort of an interesting place because to prepare for the Olympics and to be ready for the Olympics, you do sort of have to have those blinders like, no, I can't hear you, body. But then, you know, you do have to allow yourself to to open up. But that's hard. 
Yeah. And I think it is, it is a balance finding that right balance of the two, because that's the thing is when you're in the middle of a marathon build, you don't want to constantly be thinking like, am I going too hard? Am I like, do I need a break? It's like, no, you need to be head down, just kind of focus and, and get through it really. And then I think what I'm trying to learn is scheduling in those off periods. I'm definitely not good at taking downtime. And that's kind of where some of that self-discipline comes in of allowing myself to recognize when I do need that rest, which doesn't come naturally to me. Right. Well, that's so interesting to the idea of scheduling the rest and like putting it on your calendar and whatnot. Yeah, I think it can be uh, when things are going really well, like they were last year, it can become very easy to get greedy with it of just like, oh, like things are going <laughs> like I'm things are going so well, I can just do one more race. I can I can just keep going at this pace forever and not realizing like, oh, like things go well because you take those rest periods beforehand. And after a while, you start to plateau, you start to get stale. And it's almost like the breakthroughs come come after you have those big off periods. That's certainly what happened with me in 2020 and 2021. It came after a long period of being off. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit. I became one of your fans uh, with that video series you did for Momentus. And mm -hmm. I just absolutely love that whole series, but particularly your description of how your running works with your mind and your OCD. I mean, you gave such a great description of the impact of motion and movement in the, your mind. And mm -hmm. I mean, how did you figure that out? I mean, it sounded like that discovery happened when you were pretty young. Yeah, I think it's really funny that I think people come into the, the thing that they're meant to do, not through any maybe intentional kind of thing, but just because they find what works for them. And what I've since discovered is like a comorbid OCD and ADHD. It's a combined diagnosis. I have learned now that one of the best things for th that those disorders is motion and that it's the, the calming rhythmic nature of endurance activity is it, like incredible for people with um, either OCD, ADHD, or a combination of both. But when I was a kid, I didn't know any of that. I didn't know that I had either of those disorders. And I just found that going up behind my house is what, and running for, at the time when I was a kid, it was only one to two miles, but those runs calmed and settled my mind and got it into the place where it felt like everything was firing correctly and in the right sync. Like I described it in those videos as without running, I felt like my brain was moving at a much different pace than my body was. It was moving too fast and running aligned those things. And I think it really just is incredible that there's there's so much that modern medicine has found out about different mental disorders or processing disorders, but people come into the activities that they do, not because necessarily a doctor tells them to sometimes, but because it's just what they find works. And I try not to think of my brain as broken in any way. I just think of it as like, hey, I was just meant to be a runner. Like my brain was just meant to work better when I run. Well, I, I love it. In that video series, everybody should watch it. It's absolutely fantastic. So we're actually here today to talk about sort of the state of women's running um, in terms of gender equity. And, you know, preparing to talk to you because I know that you're involved in this project uh, to increase representation of female non-binary runners. I looked into some of the participation stats and I was really surprised at how highly skewed the numbers are towards men. I mean, what has your experience been as a woman running in track and also now, of course, marathoning? Yeah, it's been very interesting because obviously I think the sport of running has progressed very far. 
but I think we do still have a long way to go. I mean, when I was coming up through running, like the best compliment that you could receive as a girl is, Oh, you're, you're running as fast as the boys are. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm running as fast as a, a girl, me. Like it's, I think there's that perception that it's like, it is a sport for white male runners. Um, and what we're working to do is changing that and saying like, Hey, like running is a sport for everyone. It is the most egalitarian sport in the world. Like everybody can do it. And it doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter like what, uh, what background you come from, what color, what shape you are. Everybody can do this in some way and find success in their own way. And I think it's opening up that, um, that it's opening up the sport to let everyone feel accepted and comfortable doing it at whatever level they want to do it, whether it's at the elite level or whether it's running your first 5k. When you started in track and, and marathoning, I mean, did you, I mean, did you feel like you were one of a few or did you notice the, the gender inequity? Um, I think I noticed more than the gender inequity, uh, because like, obviously at the time that I'm coming into this, I started pro running when I was in 2017. So obviously like sure. women's sports have been very well developed. I'm not facing the same kinds of headwinds that like Catherine Switzer was facing when she was the first woman to run the Boston marathon. However, I think it's more of the attitude of the sport that I think it was a very masculine competitive attitude, this win at all costs attitude, this, I need to, I need to beat others down in order to raise myself up and I need to be the best. And I think that is a very, um, very aggressive, oftentimes masculine way of looking at the sport versus what I think we're coming into now with American pro distance running on the women's side of this acceptance that like, Hey, like greatness can display itself in many different ways. And we can support each other through this and become better through it. Like I find it very funny hearing the stories of the distance running like heyday in the seventies when it was all the men were battling each other and there were huge rivalries and aggression. Whereas now I look at between me and Kira Diamato and Sarah Hall and Emma Bates and we're all friends. Like when we show up to races, like obviously we are very competitive when we race, but we're very good friends outside of that. I was just texting Kira about tips for the New York marathon course when she races it in a few weeks. And I personally believe that that kind of approach, that there can be different approaches to how people want to feel in sports and not everyone is drawn to a very aggressive mentality of having to beat people down. Sometimes having that mentality of like the more we work together and the more we raise each other up, the better it's going to be. And I think there's a reason why American women's distance running is so great right now between me winning the medal last summer, the American record going down twice in one year between Kira Diamato and Emily Sisson and Sarah Hall having multiple top three world major finishes. I think it's a really exciting time showing that like, hey, we can approach this sport differently and still do incredible things. I hope that answers the question. I, I don't I think I went off on a bit of a tangent there. No, and you got into this sort of this line of thinking that I find totally fascinating. And I hesitate to say like, this is what women do. And this is what men do, because I think we can really get ourselves into trouble. Mm -hmm. But I do think this idea of competition is really fascinating. Like, what does women competing look like? What does women being aggressive look like? And we have this model because we've always seen it in men, but maybe it still exists in women, but looks very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think 
I I want to obviously like yeah exactly what you said not pin it on either male or female but I I think there has been a perception in the past that like to be competitive it has to look a certain way or you have to uh, like believe that you are by far the best and you have to put yourself above others and I just I frankly personally don't vibe with that I I haven't ever really appreciated that of like, in order to bring yourself up, you've got to knock others down or that there has to be only one best runner. That's always like the conversation on, on running message boards is like, who is the best American distance runner right now? And it's like, why can't we have multiple best distance runners that do their own thing? Great. Like we can have the people that go out and like get medals at championship races. And we can have the people that go out and win American records and are doing different things, but doing it incredibly. And I think that's far more exciting than having one best American distance runner is being able to say, Hey, we've got probably five or six American women right now that on any day could go out and be one of the best in the world. And I think that's more exciting. Do you have a sense of yourself as you know, like competitive and aggressive. I mean, does, is that part of your personality? Do you describe yourself in those ways? And do you distinguish it from like this sort of competitive, aggressive mode that you like less? I think there's a certain place for it. Like there are certain times when I, there is a very important place to go out and be aggressive and be competitive. And I think that is important for every woman to be able to have too a, a safe spot to be able to go and feel like they can express that side of themselves. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's not a masculine feminine thing, but it's maybe something that all of us have both sides of that inside ourselves. We have the cooperative teamwork, bring each other up and then the go out and like get shit done and like, like be able to go and put yourself to the max of your ability and be incredibly competitive. I think all of us have those inside of ourselves. I would be lying if I would say that during the Olympics last year that I wasn't like of the mentality of like, I want to go out and beat every single person on this course, because I think it's important to have that, but then also have the times in that very same race when I'm racing with my teammate, Sally Kipiego, and we are working together. I'm not saying I have to beat Sally right now. It's we're grabbing bottles of water for each other. We're trading off bags of ice. We're helping pull each other along because I think it's important to have both sides of that within yourself. And so maybe that's it is not saying like women are one way, men are the other. It's saying like, how do we make it so that every person in this sport feels like they can have both of those sides within themselves, the, the competitive winner side and the teamwork lift each other up and everyone makes everyone better side. So going back to these stats of there aren't as many women running as men, do you have thoughts about why that is? And then that leads to like, what are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. I think there is a multifaceted approach to why there aren't as many women in the sport as men. One, I think there's more of an encouragement of men specifically in this country, but I think in other countries as well of men being able to express themselves in sports and be, be competitive like that. Whereas I think sometimes for women, we're told to, to, to be feminine, to that competitiveness isn't, uh, isn't attractive, that you can't have that side of yourself. And I think it's important to one, give younger girls the opportunity to say like, no, like you can go out and be a badass and you can go out and, and race really hard and have this. I think we have multiple sides of this from my experience on the competitive side of being a competitive runner in high school, college, and now as a pro, 
I think there needs to be more support of the ways that female running is different than male running, that female hormones are different than male hormones and the way that female bodies develop is very different. And we are frankly losing a lot of women in the sport because they're trying to make them into tiny men of uh, like running them into the ground and not respecting that female bodies change in a different way that male bodies do. And specifically with my experience with eating disorder and with mental disorder, I think there needs to be more appreciation that female sports are different categorically than men's sports. And we need to have more respect for that so that we don't lose a lot of talent trying to push women to the brink. Well, that goes again to like having this model that we think everybody has to be like. Mm -hmm. Exactly. and And being able to change it because we're not all going to be like that. Yeah. And I think there is in the past, there's been a very one size fits all approach sure. to distance running and sports in general. And I think we've seen it specifically with the previous Olympics and with um, just more attention being paid to the fact that like athletes are real people. We're not robots. And I think you see it with Simone Biles. You see it with Naomi Osaka, with Michael Phelps speaking out about his own mental health, that there needs to be space for that of being able to take the time to get yourself in order and get healthy so that you can achieve your best. So I want to go back to what you said in the beginning about girls and women thinking they need to be feminine. And, and my, my reaction is always like, oh my gosh, we're still there. I mean, yes. you're much younger than I am. And, you know, it certainly was true when I was young, but it just makes me sad that we're still at this place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is. It's difficult because I think there are just a lot of preconceived ideas of like what you need to be to be a certain thing. And that's that's why I think it is really cool. I look to the generation even below me, like kids that are in high school right now, and just the appreciation they have for the many different kinds of ways that you can represent yourself um, as a man, a woman, or non-binary. And I think it's really cool and being able to just have that space that people can feel like they can express themselves in a lot of different ways. Like I wish I'd had that of not it being this binary in my mind when I was in high school of, oh, you either are the jock or you have to be the girly girl. And it's like, I want to be able to have both. I want to be able to look really cute in my prom dress, but I also want to go out and like absolutely crush it on the cross country course and feel like a badass. And so I, I hope that what, what we're doing right now in this sport and some of the things that we're, we're openly talking about are allowing that to happen, that girls in the sport uh, coming up through high school, or even young women getting into the sport feel like, Hey, like I can be all of these things at once. I don't have to be just one thing. Like I can be an athlete. I can be a, a woman. I can be like a, yeah, I can be effeminate and I can be like masculine. I can be all these different things. And I think that's, what's really cool about this present moment right now. It sounds like you're hopeful. I'm very hopeful with it. I think, uh, I think it's probably going to take another, another couple of years, maybe another decade, but I just see how much the sport has changed throughout my short career so far of like how different it is from when I was in middle school and high school coming up through the sport. And so it gives me a lot of hope that like, Hey, things can change just in the past five years. Like when I was in college, nobody was talking about mental health. And now it, everybody's talking about it in sports. And I'm in the place where I feel like I can talk about it as a pro runner. That never would have happened even five years ago. So it's like, if that can change, anything can change. I love that you are here listening to another terrific sporty woman tell her story. Following women's sports is a form of activism. Watching women's sports, talking about it, and supporting it are all forms of activism. 
As Kelly Irvick said in episode 132, women artists and women athletes have faced the exact same challenges over centuries. All women have faced the same challenges. So the stories you are listening to on Hear Her Sports are the same ones being told by women in the arts, in business, in politics, or wherever. I encourage you to continue listening to Hear Her Sports and tell your friends about it. Because we are a listener-supported show, we always appreciate when you give back through Patreon or buy me a coffee, which is way easier to use. Find us at patreon.com slash hearher or buymeacoffee.com slash hearher. You work with a lot of sponsors, so I want to talk sort of about the, I guess I'll call it the business side of making changes in equity. Like, mm-hmm. what can sponsors do and what role should they be playing in progress towards equity in sports? Yeah, I think, like, one, I'm drawn to sponsors that are invested in making actionable change in the sport. It's the reason that I'm with Michelob. It's the reason that I'm with Puma. It's because when I was searching out sponsors, it was those companies that really like spoke to me saying that they wanted to make an actionable difference in the sports, specifically in women's sports. And so with what Michelob is doing right now with the ultra run fund of making sure that we have parity in the sport of 50% representation for female and non-binary runners. And same thing. When I was joining Puma, they said, we want to be more than just a running company. We realized that like you're a competitive athlete, but we know that like, you've done all this work with Girls Gotta Run in Ethiopia. We know that you're an advocate for mental health. Like we want to support you in that and we're not going to punish you for for speaking out, which some companies do that. And I think that's really important to me that a company is willing to look at you as more than just an athlete and say like, hey, we know that like there are things that mean a lot to you and we're going to support that fully. And what about media? What role do they play in this as well? I think... Media plays an enormous role because it's the way that people are hearing about the sport. It's the way that the sport is being presented. And I think that for for better or for worse, like media needs to feel that responsibility of the words that they are using are going to be internalized by the people reading that. And it's going to shape it. Like I think in the past, there has been a very bro-y culture around the sport of running. And you see that in some of the, the news outlets that present it and the way that they talk about women and they talk about women's sports. And I think there needs to be, frankly, a lot of work done on the way that we talk about uh, like sports beyond just men's elite running. There needs to be an appreciation that there is a world outside of just that. Um, There needs to be an appreciation for mental health in the sport and a little bit more maybe compassion for athletes as people. I, I think the best example is you look at what the media response was to Simone Biles having to pull out of some of her events at the Olympics. And I think that really shows that like, we have a really long way to go. There was obviously a lot of support for her, but there was a lot of hatred and a lot of just truly despicable things said. And I think we need to really take a hard look at ourselves. And I think the media needs to take a hard look at itself. Like how are we presenting these kinds of things to, to the people and how are we talking about these issues so that there's not stigma? so that there's an open dialogue about it. A question I like to ask often in terms of media is, has media figured out how to present sports to women 
Do you have any, I mean, have you thought about that? I mean, is it this, again, we go back to this discussion. I don't want to sort of say this is for women and this is for men, but there is that idea. I think we're, we're sort of shrinking and pinking it a little bit, in, even mm -hmm. in the media. No, exactly. I think, hmm, I think it's a really thorny, difficult question because no, frankly, I don't think that the media has found a way to present sports specifically to women and like, and I think it leads to a huge portion of the population feeling like they don't have a place in right. the sports media of girls feeling like, like I can't watch ESPN. Like that's not speaking to me. And so I think there does need to be a place of like, how do we present this in a way, not just like, not just saying like, Oh, how do we appeal to women? But how do we make this appealing to everyone and saying like, okay, because like when I turn on ESPN, I don't feel that I'm represented in any of that. They're not showing the things that I'm interested in. And it's all guys on a round table talking in, frankly, a, a very specific coded way for men. And it's like, I, I'm a football fan, like I, or, and I'm, a running fan and I'm a fan of a lot of different sports, but how are we presenting it in a way that we can make everyone feel included and want to watch these things? Because I think it's more than just like, let's appeal to women. It's like everyone deserves to feel like they have a place in sports and it's not just a guy's thing. It's, it's an everyone thing. Hmm. Like yeah. I, one of my former roommates from back in Boston, she's uh, a woman who grew up in the sport and she was a sideline newscaster for the Patriots. And it's like, but they kept, pushing her off into certain areas because she was just a girl because like girls can't know about football. It's like, she knows more about football than anyone I've ever met. Same thing with baseball. She knows more about baseball than anyone I've ever met. But the fact that there's not a place for that, I think is really um, frustrating still. Yeah, for sure. Is there stuff that you wish as the athlete that the media asked you and they're not, they're not talking about or things that you think that your fans and your audience want to know about and they're not you're not being asked about those things mm -hmm. one i think there's just such a dearth of like one just coverage of the sport of running the way that we present it other than just so and so won this race in what time and i think that really kind of like i think it whitewashes what the sport is like i personally wish that there was some way in our sport to have the storylines and just the depth of experience in the sport of pro running that people would understand like, wow, this is incredible. Like the best example I can look to is I'm a huge fan of formula one. Um, my dad races cars. And so I watched formula one my entire life. And I've been so amazed at how many people have really gotten into it with this new formula one drive to survive series on Netflix specifically with people caring about the racers that are not necessarily at the top of the leaderboard. They're not just caring about Hamilton and Max Verstappen. They're caring about Daniel Ricciardo and the McLaren team and like teams that aren't necessarily number one, but that have really intriguing storylines and these battles for some of the places behind and like just being able to flesh out the dynamics of these races. And I think running is exactly the same in that of like, there are so many incredible storylines going on that we miss because people only pay attention to when the world record is run or who won that race, who won the New York marathon. And it's like, what about the, the other, I don't know. There's so many other storylines in that race that you can focus on that are, if anything, even more entertaining I wish they gave the audience a little more respect, a lot of the media. I mean, in terms of these mm -hmm. stories, it's like, we can understand all that. You know, it's possible yeah. to understand all that and really love it. And we would, we want to hear that stuff. 
Yeah, and I think it, it it exactly is that of like spectators, I think, are very smart people and they have the complexity to understand like what exactly that means and like what it means to be following the battle for fifth place, even if it might not be the person winning it. It's like, what does that mean of like, I think like some of the best examples are you look at like the women who have just come back from childbirth and are now like fighting for a podium spot or the, the guy that has been dealing with injury for the last several years and like finally comes back and is able to like make an Olympic team again, even if they're not necessarily the ones winning the race. I think that is just as intriguing as a storyline and something that I would love to be able to see presented, but it's just not because they think, Oh, People only care about the world records. They only care about Elliot Kipchoge running the world record. It's like, no, there's a lot more going on. Yeah, and I also really loved how you have, throughout this interview, compared running to other sports. And I think that could bring people in too. Okay, so compare it to football in some way or something that other people can, mm -hmm. you know, people who normally watch other things. Yeah, exactly. And I think give people the tools Right. to be able to appreciate the sport. Like people care about football because it is on television every weekend. They have an easy way to follow those teams. They know what's going on. And so I think part of it too is on us as athletes. Like one of the best like opinions that I heard on this was Ben Rosario, who's a coach up here in Flagstaff. He is in charge of one of the Hoka teams here. And he uh, said basically something along the lines of like basketball players are playing hundreds of games per season and they're giving press conferences after every game. Whereas a lot of times runners, you maybe see them once or twice a year racing a major marathon and you don't hear from them in the interim. So it's like, why would people care about it if they're not hearing about us? And so it's one, I think it's on us as athletes to be able to like help promote that and grow the sport. But I also think it's on the media to like give fans an accessible way to, to learn about these athletes, to learn about their stories and to talk about it and follow it. Because that's the thing, even, I'm a pro runner and I am an avid fan of this sport and it's still difficult for me to find race results. I'm sorry. The average fan is not going to be able to find these kinds of things. If even I'm struggling to get it. Oh, that's a common complaint. It's just crazy. Yeah. You cannot follow it unless you're, as you said, an avid fan. And even then it's yeah. difficult. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, I have a team, like I had a teammate racing the U S 10 mile champs a couple of weeks ago. And I, for the life of me could not find any results. I'm like, like, <laughs> If anything, I'm one of the most invested people in finding these. Like, this is very frustrating. Right. Well, Molly, before we go, can you talk about what the Michelob Ultra Run Fund is? Yeah. So basically what Michelob is aiming for is trying to get parity in the sport. Uh, right now, the New York Marathon has 46% of its competitors are female or non-binary. And we are really working to push that to 50. And to do that, Michelob has created the Ultra Run Fund as a platform that's going to provide support and training for women and non-binary runners, making their marathon debut for next year's New York City Marathon in 2023, as well as providing the chance for them to get bibs and entries to the marathon. And I think it's such a cool program and movement that we're doing to try and one, give women and non-binary runners the opportunity to run, but then also the tools to be successful. Can you clarify a little bit about who these runners are? Are they like your average Joe, the, you know, like the woman down the street, or mm -hmm. are they people who've been, you know, collegiate athletes doing the 10K and are now doing the marathon like you? 
Yeah. So for the majority of them, it is non-elite runners of like at whatever level they are running at. It's people that aren't sponsored. It's people that may be completely new to the sport. And specifically, Michelob is focusing on a lot of people that um, it is kind of their first marathon doing this and being able to give them the opportunity to say like, hey, I can complete 26.2. And because I think there's there's a lot of support for for people coming up conventionally through this the way that I did, where it's I ran in high school, I ran in college, and then I was sponsored by companies to run post-collegiately. But I think for a lot of people that might be new to the sport of, say, a 25-year-old runner that's only ever run 5Ks and is just doing this uh, on the weekends while they're working throughout the week, I think it's a really cool opportunity to show that everyone, at whatever level you're doing this, that you have a place in the marathon. And do you have a sense of what this training is going to look like? So they're going to be trying to put together a collective of really experienced coaches and then advice from athletes like me to be able to support them throughout the year as they lead nice. into the marathon. Yeah. So it's, it's really fun to get to be a part of that and to get to provide some of my training insights to that and then have as well experts in the field of coaching be able to really tailor the training specifically for each athlete. I think it's so great that they're doing this to sort of encourage, you know, just anybody to be more active, it sounds mm -hmm. like. Yeah. And I think sometimes the biggest barrier for people getting into this sport is like, I don't know how to approach it. I don't know what training to do. I don't know even where to start to train for a 26.2 mile race. And so being able to give people the opportunity and the tools that they need to be successful and say like, hey, we're going to help you with this, I think is a really important thing because that's the biggest thing is just taking that first step sometimes. Sure. We are running out of time and I really appreciate everything we've talked about. Is there anything that I missed that you want to add before you go? No, I think that's like, it was so nice getting to talk to you and like really kind of like hash out some of this stuff. I feel like this is a lot, uh, a lot deeper of a conversation than I usually get to have in these kinds of things about just like what we want out of this sport. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. It was fun for me too. And that's it for another great episode. Thank you to Molly for joining me before the New York City Marathon. And a heartfelt thank you to all of our fantastic Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee supporters for their continued backing of the show. I'm so grateful for their support and their interest. Hear Her Sports is a listener-supported show, so we couldn't do it without them. If you aren't a supporter and would like to be, go to patreon.com slash hearher or to the easy-to-use buymeacoffee.com slash hear her. Head to the show notes at hearhersports.com for links to the things Molly and I talked about, including the momentous video series, which is a must watch for everyone. Also in the show notes are links to the athletes that she mentioned. You can always connect with me in an email to elizabeth at hearhersports.com. You know I love talking about women's sports, so I look forward to hearing from you. We are on all the socials at hearhersports. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter at hearhersports.com. And until next time, bye-bye. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. 
I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along The Planted Runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.